have prepared for each heart. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure everybody has heard the phrase, the road to Calvary, or read a book based on it or the likes. Well, tonight I'd like to take us on a road of recovery, which really is a parallel road to the road to Calvary, or better yet, the same road. When Pastor Jasky asked me if I would do this uh, Wednesday night service, I really didn't have to hesitate or pray too hard about it, because if I couldn't get you to come to celebrate recovery on Saturday night, I'll take it as a sign God wanted me to come to you on Wednesday night. One Sunday afternoon, a father was trying to take a nap, but his little boy kept bugging him with, Daddy, I'm bored. So trying to occupy him with a game, the dad found a picture of the world in the newspaper. He cut it up in about 50 pieces and said, Son, see if you can put this puzzle back together. The dad lay back down to finish his nap, thinking the map would keep his son busy for at least an hour or so. When in about 15 minutes, the little guy woke him up. Daddy, got it finished. It's all put together. You're kidding. He knew his son didn't know all the positions of the nations, so he asked him, how did you do it? It was easy. There was a picture of a person on the back of the map. So when I got my person put back together, the world looked just fine. How's your person doing? Are you all put together? The fact is that many of us are a mess. We're scattered all over the living room floor with no one to put us together and no idea where to begin the healing process. Each of our lives is tangled with hurts that haunt our hearts, hang-ups that cause us pain, and habits that mess up our lives. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. There's not a person in the world who doesn't deal with at least one of these on some level and many of us struggle with all three. Truth is, life is tough. We live in an imperfect world. We've been hurt by other people. We've hurt ourselves. And we've hurt other people. The Bible says it plainly. All have sinned. And, the Bible, and if the Bible says all have sinned, that means none of us is perfect. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. We hurt and we hurt others. Just imagine how much better the world looks when our person is put together. And what better place to start than with a promise straight from God? There are five ways he promises to help us find freedom from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. God promises through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 57, 18, I have seen how they have acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and help them, and I will comfort those who mourn. I offer peace to all near and afar. God says, I see you. I know what you're going through. Remember, I have been there. Let me heal you. God says, I see you. I know the way. Remember, I have been right where you are. God says, I see you. I feel your pain. Remember, 
I have been there. I have felt the pain and sorrow. I have gone through the anguish, the uncertainty, the doubts. I was just like you. Jesus is saying right now, I am still here with you. I have always been with you. I am here to give you peace, to comfort you, to give you a hope for a better future, a life of freedom, peace, and happiness. All you have to do is follow me. See the road just there? That is my road. It is a straight and narrow road, the road where I walk. Come, take my hand and walk with me. Let me show you the way. Let me be your guide. And I promise that if you do, you will find peace there, healing along the way. And we will grow close to each other, you and I, each step we take along the way. For my road is straight and narrow. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. In Luke, Jesus says, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You know what I love about recovery? God is all about recovery. From the day Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God has been showing us the way to recover from sin. So it should come as no surprise that the very principles for recovery we use like the 12 steps are found in the Bible, the original recovery manual. In 1935, a couple of guys formulated, based on the scriptures, what are known as the classic 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, used by hundreds of recovery groups. Over 20 million Americans are in recovery groups every week, and there are over 500,000 different recovery groups across the United States. The basis is God's word. Now, you talk about spreading God's word. Along with the 12 steps, Celebrate Recovery uses the eight principles of recovery, which are taken from the Beatitudes, found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he began by stating eight ways to be happy, or you read in most Bible, blessed. Today, we call them Beatitudes. From a conventional viewpoint, most of these statements don't seem to make sense. They sound like a contradiction. But when you fully understand what Jesus is saying, you'll realize that these eight principles are God's road of recovery, wholeness, growth, spiritual maturity. Or if you have trouble with the word or concept of recovery, you could also say that these are God's eight life-healing choices to wholeness, growth, and spiritual maturity. Pastor Jackie, not too long back, did a teaching in Matthew chapter 5 on the Beatitudes. You would be blessed, happy, to pick up a copy and read and listen to it from now and again. God's first principle of recovery says that we have to realize that without him, we are nothing and can do nothing. Well, except for without God, I can make a mess out of my life and other people's lives too. Principle one is the foundation principle and step to healing, to becoming whole, and reads, I realize I'm not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong things, and my life is unmanageable. The corresponding beatitude, blessed, happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. The Apostle Paul admitting our need is what being spiritually poor is all about. Apostle Paul realized principle one when he said, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. 
It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am, makes me do these evil things. Romans 7, 15 through 17. Pretty sure right now everyone in the person in this room has thought of something they are relating to as I read that scripture. Whatever it may be, it would fall under the heading of either a hurt habit or a hang-up. Oh, it doesn't have to be one of those big sins either, the big seven, you know, gluttony, lust, common alcohol or drugs. Nope, it can be, do you ever stay up late and know you need sleep? Do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Do you ever feel you ought to exercise, but you don't? Do you ever know the right thing to do, but you don't do it? Do you ever know something is wrong, but you do it anyway? Have you ever known you should be unselfish, but you're selfish instead? Have you ever tried to control somebody or something and found it was uncontrollable? Guess what? Those are hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And in Bible speak, that is our sin nature. Everybody has one, and so everyone can benefit from recovery. The word recovery shouldn't be all that scary of a word, and as believers, honestly, we should be quite comfortable with it. Because simply put, recovery means being brought back from, being brought out of. We all need to be brought back from something, brought out of some sin we have fallen into. We have all sinned, and that sin, that something, has separated us from being closer to our Creator, to our Redeemer. Are you ready to take the cure? The first step on our road to recovery is to admit our powerlessness. The Bible says that in admitting my weaknesses, I find strength. This is not a popular idea in the self-sufficient American culture, which says, raise yourself up by your own bootstraps. Don't depend on anybody else. Hey, do the Lone Ranger thing. But this is the essential first step to getting our act together. We admit we are powerless to do it on our own. We need other people. We need God. When I start to admit that I'm not God, it means I recognize three important facts of life. Maturity comes when we recognize these three facts. First, I admit that I'm powerless to change my past. It hurt. I still remember it. But all the resentment in the world isn't going to change it. I'm powerless to change my past. Two, I admit that I'm powerless to control other people. I try. I like to manipulate them. I use all kinds of little gimmicks, but it doesn't work. I am responsible for my actions, not theirs. I, control, I can't control other people. And third, I admit that I am powerless to cope with my harmful habits, behaviors, actions. Good intentions are not enough. How many times have I tried and failed? Willpower is not enough. I need something more than willpower. I need a source of power beyond myself. I need God because he made me to need him. James puts it this way in chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Grace is the power to change. Grace is the power God gives us to make changes in our lives that we want to make and he wants us to make. His grace is the power to change. And for us to recover from hurts, hang-ups, and hassles in our life, we need God's grace. And there is only one way to get it. God gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you, what needs changing in your life? 
What hurt, hang-up, or habit have you been trying to ignore? For many, this step is the hardest step to admit. To admit I have a problem, I have a need, I have a hurt. It's hard for many of us to admit, admit that because it's humbling. It says, I'm not God, and I don't have it all together as much as I'd like everybody to think I do. I don't have it all together. I can pretty much guarantee that if we tell that to somebody, they're not going to be surprised because they know it too. God knows it. We just need to admit it. It means being honest and facing a problem that we have wanted to ignore for a long time. See Jesus standing just there at the beginning of our road, beckoning. Will you take the first step and follow him? Will you deny yourself and realize that you're not the God of your life? He is. Having denied ourselves and taken the first step on the road called recovery, a road to Calvary, we come to God's principle two, the hope step. Step one says, I admit it. I'm helpless. I'm powerless. I'm not God. Not even close. Step two says there is a power. There is a power we can plug into to handle those things we can't handle on our own. Principle two reads, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. The second step is based on Hebrews 11.6. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Our corresponding beatitude says, Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5.4 The reality of our road of recovery is that we cannot progress, we cannot move forward until we have grasped, laid hold of the first principle, that first step where we humble ourselves and admit we need. Just as on the road to Calvary, we must admit that we are sinners in need of a Savior, so we took the first step on our road of recovery, the road to Calvary, when we said we were not perfect, we are not all-powerful, that we are in need. There are three parts to taking step two on this road to recovery. One, we acknowledge God's existence. Two, we understand God's character. Three, we accept God's offer to help me. For most of us here tonight, the existence of God is really a no-brainer. On the whole, there are very few atheists left these days. There are more people who acknowledge the existence of God than those who don't. The real issue for, tonight, for us tonight is, what kind of God is he? What is he really like? Does it matter? The problem is we can have some very strange ideas of what God is like. True, but very unfortunate, most of us get our ideas about God by thinking he's like a parent, our father or mother. Tragic, because if our father was aloof and unloving, then we tend to think God, the father, is aloof and unloving. If our parent was somebody to be feared, then we tend to think I need to be afraid of God. If our father was abusive, then we tend to think God is abusive. If our parent was uncaring, then we act as if God could care less. Instead of God making us in his image, we make God in our image. What we all really want to know is what God is really like. Because until I know what God is really like, I can't trust him. Does that make sense to you? Think about it. You and I are not going to trust something or someone 
that we don't know or know something about. Fortunately for us, God wants us to know all about him, what he's like. So he came to earth 2,012 years ago and came in the form of a human being. He came as Jesus Christ. And he said, this is what God is like. The word tells us in Colossians 1, Christ is a visible expression of the invisible God. If we want to know what God is like, we only need to look at Jesus because he's the visible expression of the invisible God. There are three things that we can learn about God from Jesus that help us get over our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. God knows all about my situation. I learned from Jesus that God knows all about my situation because he knows my hurts, habits, and hang-ups. He knows the good and bad. Some of us have had a tough week, a month, or life. David, a man after God's own heart, has some rough patches in his life. And he writes in Psalms 56, You know how troubled I am. You've kept a record of my tears. Really, that just blows me away. That God knows me so up close and personal that he keeps a record of my tears. Hope he has lots of paper. I've cried plenty. Maybe tonight you're saying under your breath, nobody knows the hell I'm going through in this marriage. Wrong. God does. Or you may be thinking, nobody knows how I'm struggling to break this habit. I can't get it out of my mind. Wrong again. God does. Or nobody knows the depression and fear that I'm going through. God does, and he's kept a record of our tears. He knows it all. Nothing escapes his notice. Speaking of nothing escaping his notice, here's something all of us would like to forget about God, I'm sure. In Psalm 69, David writes, You know how foolish I've been. Ouch, that hurts. We don't want God to know all the dumb stuff we do, just as much as we don't want some other people to know either. The fact is, there's nothing off the record with God. We always have an audience 24 hours a day. He knows the good days, the bad days, the dumb stumps we pulled, the foolish decisions, and amazingly and incredibly, he still loves us. The fact is, God is not shocked by our sin. Second thing we can learn about God is he cares about our situation. Psalms 103 says, He is like a father to us, tender and sympathetic, for he knows what we are made of, dust. God knows we're made of molecules, that we're frail, we're not superhuman. God is tender and sympathetic. That's the kind of God we serve, one who knows us. God wants to be the father of us many of us have never had, tender and sympathetic. God says, I have loved you with an eternal, everlasting love. But how can God love me and his love never quit? He loves me on good days, bad days, when I serve him, when I don't, when I'm right, when I'm wrong. How does he keep on loving me? Because his love is unconditional. It's not based on our performance. It's based on God's character. The Bible says God is love. And he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. He not only knows about our situation, he cares about it. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. Romans 5.8 A third thing we can learn about God through Jesus is God can change me and my situation. That's good news. 
God can change me and my situation. Sometimes he changes me. Sometimes he changes the situation. Sometimes he changes both. He's the only one that has the power to do it. Apostle Paul says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You ever find yourself paralyzed by procrastination? Thinking, I need to do this, but I just can't get started. You ever feel like, I just can't get on top of things? God says, I've got the power. Do you believe that if God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can raise a dead relationship? He can raise a person back to health? He can set us free from an addiction? God can help us close the door on the past so those painful memories stop haunting us if we trust him. We read in Luke 18, what is impossible for me is possible with God. The Bible says nothing is too hard for God, but we say you don't understand my situation. I've tried to change, but I can't. True, we can't by ourselves, but nothing is impossible with God. In that situation that seems hopeless, isn't. Our road of recovery is all about spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a process of expanding our view as we look forward, shrinking the view of the past so we can get on with the present. And we do that as we acknowledge that God exists. When we realize what he's really like, that he cares, understands, he loves us, and wants to help us. It's not enough, though, for us just to believe in God. Most of us believe in God, but that hasn't wiped away the hurt. We've got to plug into the power that's more than just believing. We must accept what God has to offer. Philippians 2.13, For God is at work within you, giving his the will and the power to achieve his purpose. God says willpower on your own is not enough. Good intentions are not enough. What you need is my will, my power to help you change. I will give you the willpower. But we say, I'm scared to death to change. I don't even know if I want to change. Thing is, we probably don't and won't until the pain exceeds our fear of change. Then we will say, God, make me willing to be willing to change. And then at that moment, he will give us the will and the power to plug into him. There's a principle in the universe. This may sound real simple, but really is profound when you think about it. I've learned things work best when plugged in. Toasters, blenders, televisions, radios, things work best when they're plugged in. And God meant for you and me to be plugged into him. To get plugged into God's power is really simple. We only need to believe and receive. First, I believe that God exists, and I believe that he does know and care and have the power to help me. Then I receive him into my life. Jesus, put your spirit in me. We do that by using a four-letter word. The second step to recovery involves a four-letter word, and I want to challenge you to use this four-letter word today. It takes courage to say this four-letter word. Help! I need help. God, I need your help in my life. The road to recovery isn't easy. It means facing up to some real problems we haven't wanted to deal with. It means taking some risks. It means being honest, trusting God. 
But when we take this step, all of a sudden our recovery is no longer simply a matter of willpower. God says, I will be with you. Now it's all about God power. In Isaiah 43, God says, when you go through deep waters and great troubles, I will be with you. You won't drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you won't be burned up. God says, I will be with you this next week, next month, this year, next year, and the year after that. I will be with you as you face those issues you've been afraid to face in your life. Where are you hurting today? Are you going through some deep waters? Do you feel like you're going under for the last time? Are you going through the fryer right now and the heat's on in your life? Are you thinking, I'm going to get burned up or burned out? Do you feel like you're stuck in a rut and say, I just can't get the power to change? I feel powerless. Be of good cheer. There's a higher power we can plug into, and his name is Jesus Christ, the name above all names. I invite you to open your heart and life to him today and take this second step on our road of recovery. A road of recovery, the road to Calvary, stops tonight with the third principle and third step. On our road, there is a doorway. And to continue on our journey, we must go through the door. Step one, admit it, I've got a problem. Reality step. Step two, hope step. Not only am I powerless, but God has a power. He is willing to help out. He knows my problems and cares about my problems and cares about me. He knows everything going on in my life. He's offering help to change. And that, my brothers and sisters, is hope and why it's called the hope step. But it's not enough to know God that God will help us. We have to take action. We've got to make a decision. We've got to walk across the line and cross the threshold. Step three is our doorway step. Step three reads consciously, choose to commit all of my life and will to Christ's care and control. This step is based on what Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is offering God's invitation and says, come to me. I will make your life easier. I don't lose my place. Give me, you will have, I will make your life easier. I will lighten your load. You will have relief and you will have release. I will give you rest and I will renew you. Give me the control and care of your life and watch what I do. What a deal. What would ever keep anyone from wanting to take advantage of a deal like that? What causes us to procrastinate giving our problems to God and to delay surrendering our life totally to the care and control of Christ? Why wouldn't any one of us want to take this third step? And think of a few reasons that could hold us back. One is pride. Pride will keep me from admitting I need help. Hear the wisdom of Proverbs 18.12. Arrogant people are on the way to ruin because they won't admit when they need help. How many of us in our pride will not do something so simple as to stop and ask for directions? And I'm not talking just about guys, but the gals too. My wife Amy won't. When we are in a store, she will not ask a clerk 
where an item can be located. She will keep looking and searching endlessly. Sorry, Amy. <laughs> and I am that typical guy who will not stop and ask directions. It bruises the pathfinder pride in me. The wisdom of Proverbs 10.8 says, the self-sufficient fool falls flat on his or her face. Maybe, the greater, maybe a greater dose of pain is needed before we can say, I am ready to give control and care of my life to Christ, and God will gladly allow it to get our attention. Guilt will keep us from taking this step. We may be ashamed to ask God to help us. In Psalms 40.13, David laments, Problems far too big for me to solve are piled higher than my head. Meanwhile, my sins, too many to count, have caught up with me, and I am ashamed to look up. Ever felt that way? Ashamed to look up? Thinking, I don't want to ask God for help. You know how many times I've asked God for help, and I've made a promise, and I've broken the promise? Oh, God, if you just get me out of this one or because I'm too embarrassed to ask God for help. Oh, you don't even know all the things I've done wrong. Really, I couldn't go to God and ask for help. That would be wrong, dead wrong. There's no sin that God cannot forgive, and he wants to help us. Do you know what freedom is? Freedom is choosing who controls us. When we give our life to the care and control of Christ, he sets us free. Jesus says those who sin are slaves to sin. But if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I set you free. Bob Dylan used to say, and we sing it here at church, you're going to have to serve somebody, even if it's your own ego. Real freedom is choosing who our master will be. So what are we afraid of? What are we holding on to that we think, I can't let this go in order to give my life to God? Is it a relationship, ambition, a habit, a lifestyle, a possession. Matthew 16, 26 says, How does a man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? Is anything worth more than his soul? What say you? I say no. When we take this third step, we give up everything. And then, check it out, we have never had it so good because he takes what we've given him he turns it around, he adds new meaning, new significance, new vitality, and gives it back to us in a whole new way. If we've been afraid to open our life to the care and control of Christ, thinking that he might make us some fanatic, some nut, or something like that, or that I might have to give up, insert that thing that just popped into your head, don't be. Don't worry about the specifics of what, he might, what we might have to give up. Don't get bogged down worrying about that. If we focus on the specifics, we'll never make the greater decision, which is the decision to step onto the road of recovery. Just come to God. Say, God, I don't even know what I want to give up, but I do know I want my life under your control. So, God, here is a blank check. And give God a blank check. Here, God, here's my life. Let him take care of the rest and don't worry about it. Hint. It won't do any good anyway. And there is worry. Worry keeps us from surrendering our life and care to the control of Christ. We confuse the decision-making phase with a problem-solving phase. Back in 1963, JFK announced publicly, 
we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. That was the decision. Had all the problems been solved when he made that decision? No. Had all the, if, we're, if we're a good manager, we know we never confuse decision-making with problem-solving. If we can confuse them, we will never make the decision. We have to make the decision, then solve the problems. Kennedy said we're going to the moon. Then it was NASA's problem to figure out the solutions. In the Christian life, the Christian life is a decision followed by a process. Same with recovery. It's a decision followed by a process. All we're talking about today is the decision. What does it mean to take this step, our third step on the road to recovery? It means, one, I accept God's Son as my Savior. I need to be saved. I need help. I realize I need Him in my life. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What does it mean? It means committing as much of myself as I understand at this moment to as much of Christ as I understand at this moment. Is that good enough? That's good enough. I accept God's word as my standard for living. From now on, I've got a manual and I'm going to live my life by. We have been given an instruction manual to tell us what to do, where to go. It's the Bible. God says this is your standard by which you evaluate life around you. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching the faith, correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life, training him in good living. Third, I accept God's will as my strategy, as my goal in life. God, what do you want me to do? The first question I try to ask every morning is, Lord, you woke me up this morning. It obviously means you have another day for me, a purpose for my life. What do you want me to do with it? As David says, I will delight to do your will. I seek first God's will. God, I'm willing to do anything, anywhere, anytime. I don't even have to understand it, but I'm living my life on your terms because you made me for a reason. You have a purpose, and I want to fulfill that purpose that you made me for. And God's will becomes my strategy for life, whether I understand it or not. Fourth, I accept God's power as my strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything God asks me with the help of Christ who gives me the, power, the strength and the power. No longer do I have to rely on my own energy. Things work better when they're plugged in. When we get plugged into God, we're not so tired all the time. God says, I will give you my power to be all I want you to be. Jesus is standing there at the door on our road of recovery, the road to Calvary. Will you step through? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your life, and I'm knocking, and I'm saying, I want to come into your life. But Jesus is a gentleman. He'll not beat down the door. Step three on our road of recovery means the open door. The key that unlocks the door is willingness. Willpower 
as willingness. Willingness to accept God's power. We don't need willpower. We need the willingness to accept God's power in our life. Go by his controls, his system, to walk on his road. Jesus is standing there at the door on our road of recovery, the road to Calvary. Will you step through and continue the journey with him? Would you pray with me? I want to lift up this humble little prayer to you this evening, Lord Jesus. And thank you, most Holy Spirit, for inspiring the author to put pen to paper. It has helped me and sustained me through many days in my recovery. I see you, my Jesus, and my Heavenly Father in each and every word. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, me, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, I accept hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as you, Jesus, did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. I'll stand.
fellowship lord and we just uh take this time this brand new year lord to give you thanks lord and give you glory lord uh keep us close to you lord keep us a loving church lord lord that we would reach out in this community in love lord embrace those that are lost lord embrace those that are hurting and and uh lord uh beat up lord that we would be that soft spot to fall Lord, that we would be the hands and feet of you, Lord God. Lord, uh, Lord, that we would have a love for the lost in this, this town, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you for this time with you, Lord. Lord, we thank you this time in fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.